Every week on the bulletin thing at the bottom, you may not even notice it, uh, our sort of motto or the thing we're going for, Christ Church Charlestown, bringing Charlestown together around the gospel. That's something I'm really passionate about. Natalie and I uh, sat in this week on an interview with some MGH students who are working on a research project, and we were asked different questions about our neighborhood and what's working in our neighborhood, what's frustrating in our neighborhood. And it just like in my soul affirmed the thing again, but I think all the time, which is, man, our mission as a church is to see people come together around Jesus, like not around sports, not around potential new fields in our neighborhood that you see in the paper, not around fixing the traffic problems and either telling people to get off our island or allow us to get into our island or, you know, not any of that, not potholes in the road. The mission, the thing that we need to be going for because it's the reason that God sent his son to die is that we would see people come together around the gospel. That's the message of hope. That's the, the only thing that provides a true uh, cure or sense of hope for people in our neighborhood. And yet, um, it's really easy for me to then fly past this idea of the gospel and us say, well, what is the gospel? And I'll talk to friends in our neighborhood and they have different definitions of what the gospel is. Some people think the gospel is this talk. It's like when I or someone else comes up and talks, that's the gospel. I would call that the sermon or the message, but I have dear friends here in my neighborhood who've grown up calling that the gospel. Other people have all kinds of definitions and everything else. And so today, before we jump into Titus, and, and um, I want us to talk about what is the gospel. Now, a few years ago, uh, three or four years ago, a guy named Jimmy Scroggins wrote a book called Turning Everyday Conversations into Gospel Conversations. It's about a 125-page book. It's actually worth the read, even though it's really short. But the main concept of it is an idea called the three circles. And today we're going to walk through the three circles. So first of all, I did do the graphics. I won't lie, I created them. If you hate them, I didn't do them. But if you like them, I actually did do them. And, uh, but the idea of the three circles comes from someone else. It's not me. Uh, but I want to make sure, as, um, as your pastor, that I don't assume anything about our understanding of terminology or about where we are in our relationship with God. I don't want to not be clear it's so easy for me to be honest. We had a friend who has lived in the North all his life, and he went to Greensboro, North Carolina the other day for the first time, and he came, he came back, and we saw him on Sackville, and he was like, oh, now I understand why you think the way you do and explain things, some of the things you do the way you do. It's so easy to run past things because I grew up uh, in the Bible Belt, honestly, to assume everybody knows and not be clear about what the Bible says or why the Bible would have authority or who Jesus was or what Jesus' death did or what communion is. We want to explain those things really well and not, not be clear. And then we don't, honestly, I don't want to go too far and too fast. Have you ever, uh, I'm reading a book right now uh, and it's like way over my head. Do you ever read books like that that you're just like, why am I reading this? Like, where's the coloring book? Like, that is my level. Like, <laughs> I want to make sure that we're not going too far, too fast, pushing too hard, and leaving behind the beauty of the gospel of Jesus. And so today, I just want to um, talk about the gospel, if we can. So I want us to start, Renee, if you'll go to that first slide, I want us to start with the, the idea that I think we all will get, that the world is broken, okay? Oh, not that one. No, no, it's not Christmas. Advent, it's over. Not that one. It's the... That one, brokenness. Let's start there. Um, 
I want us to start today with the, the conviction, the idea that the world is broken and that we are broken. Because I think that's where the gospel begins. And so I went and began to think about this week, okay, maybe the world is, like I'll have people tell me one of two things. People will say the world is not really broken. In fact, the world is getting better than it used to be. This was the idea, a lot of the ideas behind the Enlightenment and um, sort of Renaissance was that we can push ourselves into a world that lacks brokenness. But in the midst of all of our knowledge and everything that we gained in the 19th century, what we began to find was the 20th century was the bloodiest, most evil century of all. And so now we live in the wake of that. And uh, so in 2019, just to validate the brokenness of our world, so far we've had uh, a government shutdown that it felt like, you know, people who weren't shut out of work couldn't understand what the problem was. And people who were shut out of work, who work really hard to serve our country and other places, were in food lines. Uh, that's headline news to me. It's breaking news. Uh, there have been scandals. Uh, there has been civil unrest. I was listening this week uh, to a story about drought and famine in Africa. Um, and even in our own neighborhood, uh, a couple of weeks ago, it was pickup time, and it's 4 o'clock, and we come out to pick up our boys. And because of the abduction and arrest that had happened in our neighborhood, literally there are German shepherds, like, sniffing around the school because the area was close enough to the arrest. There were helicopters over and police. Like, you can live in this neighborhood. As nice as this neighborhood is, wonderful and um, idyllic as it can be, you see the signs. We see the signs of, of brokenness. So then I thought, well, maybe this is just like current news. So I went back 100 years. Here are the headlines of 1919. In 1919, uh, for those who think maybe the world has only recently been broken, there were race riots in 26 U.S. cities. Listen to the news from 100 years ago and see if it doesn't sound a lot like our news today. There are race riots in 26 U.S. cities. The Great War officially ended. The war that was supposed to end all wars officially ended with the Treaty of Versailles. Russia found itself in the middle of civil war, and in a great sign of the world's brokenness, the Red Sox traded away Babe Ruth to the New York Yankees and went on an 80-something year drought that we don't even remember anymore, which is wonderful. So then you go back, okay, well, that was the 20th century. Let's go back to 1819. In 1819, here are the headlines. Again, how much does this sound like today? In 1819, the British Prime Minister was caught having an affair with the wife of the Prince of Wales. Uh, Native American land in Illinois was given to the U.S. We know how that goes like in American history, right? Uh, there was a French slave ship that was leaving Western Africa to go to the West Indies, and en route, all of the uh, passengers, including the, the slaves, were, they all were struck with blindness. And uh, in an effort to blame it on the slaves... All the crew threw the slaves overboard, and they all perished uh, en route to the West Indies to become uh, slaves. And so, uh, well, maybe that's just modern history. Let's go back to 1519 really quickly, if we can. 1519, the conquistadors landed in Mexico, leading to a pandemic in Central and South America, killing much of the indigenous population of those parts of the world. Uh, and then the first fatal gun incident happened in England in 1519. I think that's incredible. So let's go back a little further, 1019. Maybe we go back 1,000 years, and we can see that the world's not really been broken. This is breaking news. Uh, in 1019, there was conflict among the Vikings. There was conflict in Morocco. There was conflict in Korea. There was conflict in Manchuria. There were three known continents to the Western world at that point, and all three of them were experiencing massive 
uh, civil war. The world is broken, and it's not been broken for a hundred years or for a thousand years. The world has been broken since a man and a woman were in a garden, and they chose, rather than trust God and go God's way, to go their own way. And we've been living in the wake of that brokenness forever. And we, in fact, are broken too. And we feel it. We feel the brokenness. We feel uh, isolated at times. That's a result of brokenness, feeling misunderstood and isolated. We feel, uh, we struggle. We feel emptiness. We feel, we experience addiction. We feel used. We can find ourselves being a user at times. We feel shame. These are all things that come out of the wake of living in a broken world. And so Romans 8 22 and 23 says this, For we know that the whole creation, including us and the earth, the trees, the water, everything, all of it, the lot of it, uh, we know that all of creation uh, has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. It's like creation is in labor under the weight of the universe's brokenness. Verse 23, And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit. We groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. We have a sense as God's people that the world is not as it ought to be. And that doesn't leave us in despair, but it leaves us with longing. The world is broken, and we are broken, and we know it. And so what we do is we try to find ways out. Now, I didn't put it on here, but and if you want to take notes, uh, this will be at the... So at the 2 o'clock quadrant, at the end, we'll put all this together. And we'll post the image of this online uh, at some point today. So the, we try to, like, trampoline out of our brokenness. And we'll do all kinds of things. Like, we created all kinds of ways to sort of get out of our brokenness and go uh, up to the right. Uh, we try education. We try achievement. We try success. We try pleasure. We try religion. We try to be good. We try to do right. We try to help others. I was uh, up one night at Bunker Park with a buddy. There was an event up there, and the event ended. And he starts, like, picking up trash. And uh, I was like, dude, you know, like, Parks and Rec is going to do that, right? Like, that's what your taxes they're paying for. And he goes, I know, J.D., but i got to be a good person. And I said, oh, I hear you. Why? He's like, because one day I'm going to stand before God, and he's going to ask me how good I was. I was like, dude, you think like picking up these cigarette butts, like I know you, like picking up five cigarette butts is not going to get you into heaven one day, dude. Like you got bigger problems than picking up this litter at the park right now. But, but we know we have a problem and we try to good our way and educate our way and pleasure our way and success our way out of our brokenness. And yet we still feel it. If we feel it, it's not the cure, it's an anesthetic. Trampolining out of our brokenness by means other than the gospel is like an anesthetic. It's not the cure. And we know it. Now, Owen's, Owen is really prone to getting a strep throat. It feels like we're on antibiotics all the time with him and always have been. And the antibiotics we're noticing are becoming less and less powerful. You just can't always take antibiotics. Eventually, you become immune to them. And that's what happens with our brokenness, by the way. When we try to trampoline out of our brokenness by ways other than the ones that God created and intended for us to get out of it, 
by. It's an anesthetic. And the problem is we always have to have more and more and more because it's not the cure. It only numbs us and helps us forget that there actually is a cure if we listen to God and will go his way. Deep down, we know that this isn't God's original perfect design. So, Renee, if you'll go to that next slide for me. What is God's original perfect design? Let's talk about that for a second. That's the second big part of the gospel. This isn't his plan. God did have a plan. If you'd like to read about his plan, we won't do it this morning. But it starts in Genesis 1, and it goes to the end of the Bible. If you read it really uh, aggressively, you might can do it in three months. Um, In Genesis 1, the Bible says that God made everything. In five days, he was making everything. And it says he saw, in Hebrew it says that he saw it, and he said that it was good. It was perfect. There's no brokenness to any of it. On the sixth day, he made people. And the Hebrew language, if you ever uh, learn Hebrew, it's a really fun language. It actually reads right to left. And it's really uh, a beautiful language uh, to try to interpret and translate. And there's no word for very in the Hebrew language. They just repeat something twice. So when God has created everything for five days, he says at the end, oh, this is good. 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 It says he made made, uh, male and female in his image and and gave them dignity and beauty and they were in perfection. And, And God looks at them and the Hebrew says this. It says God saw them and he said that they were good, good. They were good, good. This was the pinnacle of what he had made. He had a perfect design, and we were part of it. And that design didn't include sin, and that design didn't include death, and that design didn't include a need to go get anesthesia to get out of our brokenness because the relationship was perfect between us and God. We were good, good. We were good, good. But we're a long ways from Eden. Do you ever go to turn on the news and then just have to turn it off? It's just so sad. I'll be honest, we don't watch sad movies in my house. It's not that we have a ban on them. Life's hard enough. I've never seen The the Notebook. Uh, Natalie never has either. I don't care. I think, well, she might have seen it once. I haven't watched it. I think it's about someone getting Alzheimer's or something. And so people are like, man, you got to see it. You're going to cry so much. Like, my grandparents died of Alzheimer's. I don't, I'm good. I live that. I live, we live the notebook. I'm, I'm set. Like, here, like seeing a movie where somebody's like, you are going to cry so much, you need to watch it, is like somebody saying, dude, this stinks or tastes so bad. You've got to try this. Like, I don't want to do that. Life's hard enough. I know that we're a long way from Eden. We're a long way from God's original perfect design. And so how did we get so far from that? How do we get so far? Renee, if you go to the next slide, here's how we got so far. The biblical word for that is called sin. That's how we got so far. Uh, if you'll go back, take that one away for a moment. Go back to that one. Yeah, right there. So sin, uh, I grew up uh, in the South, and sin was, I, I've shared this before. The sin list was really pretty short. Like, you didn't, there was a rhyme. You don't drink, we don't drink, and we don't chew, and we don't date the girls who do. Like, That was what you did. Like, if you didn't drink, dance, play cards on Sunday, listen to rock and roll music too loud, or date loose women, you were okay. So we had made accommodations for things like being judgmental, or eating way more food than we ever should have, or, you know, all kinds of vices. Like, we had this very 
twisted code of how we were going to get out of our brokenness and yet at the same time judge everyone for their brokenness. That's inherently what it means to grow up as a religious person in the South. Um, but the, let me give you two better definitions of sin. One is missing the mark. One's missing the mark. I think this is uh, a really beautiful idea of sin that's uh, very scripturally faithful. And so Mark and Annie invited us to go and stay at uh, their house. They have a house in Maine, and they invited us to go stay. And they had a dartboard. And I, I love playing darts. I'm hyper-competitive, uh, so I'm crushing my children. But you know what the truth is? If we're playing darts, and the goal is the bull's eye in darts, and if I miss the bull's eye and get close, or if I'm like my son Noah, who thinks he's good at darts and isn't, uh, and he hits the wall, and we're praying that like we're not going to tear up their wall or their darts or anything, we've both missed the bullseye. We've both missed the goal of darts. And God has a perfect goal, and we miss it. And sin is any time we miss the mark. And we may miss it by this much, and we may miss it by the Grand Canyon, but we're both equally guilty. We're all guilty. So no one should ever judge you and be like, man, you're such a sinner. Because we're all such a sinner. The best illustration, or let me, here, let's move on. Let me stay on my notes. Another good definition of sin was a definition that was given in Latin. Cor incurvatus odset. The heart turning in on itself. Sin happens when my heart turns away from God and in on me. And I do what I want to do and not what God intended and don't live by his design. And so lest you feel uh, any sense of guilt or shame. Uh, and there's a difference, by the way, between guilt and shame and conviction. Conviction is good. Conviction leads to heart and life change. Shame is not good. It's not from God. That's the, uh, the result of worldly guilt. I hope you leave every Sunday convicted. I hope you never leave and feel shame or guilt. Those are not from God, but conviction is. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned, and all of us fall short of the glory of God. So you never have to, we never have to listen to someone and be like, I'm such a sinner, and they got their life together. Listen, all of us have missed the mark. All of us have had our heart turned in on itself at some point. And so uh, we've all wandered away from God's perfect design into brokenness. I remember the first time I saw pornography, I was in elementary school and a friend of mine uh, found some magazines that we should have never seen. And I remember us looking at them. My mom eventually caught us and I got a really good spanking. Uh, but I remember that day um, feeling the tug into brokenness with no sense of what I was leaving behind. And I was never, ever the same. My heart was never the same because that's what sin does. It pulls us toward brokenness and numbs us to God's original design. So we, we barely even look back over our shoulders when we're running off into sin. It's like in the, the um, Chronicles of Narnia books, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, where Edmund... Uh, thinks that he's going to get uh, Turkish delight uh, from the white witch. And so he sort of sells himself to go get the Turkish delight, and he ends up enslaved in the castle. 
And, not, and so he finds himself thinking he's going to get something that's going to deliver, but it doesn't deliver as it promises. It leaves him cold. It leaves him chained up, hungry, and hopeless unless he is rescued by someone bigger and stronger than himself. And that is what sin does to all of us. And so the question is, is there a way to freedom? Now, Renee, if you'll go to that next slide. The answer is, is yes, there is a way to freedom. But it is not uh, ourselves who can deliver us. It is Jesus. And he is the only way to freedom. And I had a great conversation this week with a dear friend who is Jewish and universalist. And this is a point that we cannot agree on. Because all, all serious religions in the world make exclusive truth claims. And so the dumbest bumper sticker in the universe is the one that says coexist and opts in for different religions' uh, symbols to tell us we all need to coexist. If you have it on your bumper, on your bumper I love you. Um, I won't make fun of you. I'm just going to make fun of your bumper sticker for a moment. Like All of those faiths have exclusive claims. It's insulting to a Jewish person to say it's the same as Christianity. It's insulting to a Muslim to say it's the same as Judaism. They all make exclusive claims. And yet, one person comes and says he's God, and that is different. None of the others on that bumper sticker and no other serious religion in the world is making a claim that God is putting skin on. And so, but Jesus does. The Bible says that Jesus came, that he came down, he lived uh, a sinless life, something that we could not do. He died a death that we all deserve. The theological word for that is penal substitutionary uh, atonement, that Jesus paid the penalty that we should have paid, that he was our substitute on the cross. He died the death that we should have died, and we get atoned. We become at one with God through the death of Jesus. Only he can do that. And so Romans 5.8 says this, but God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then it goes on. Um, and it, it says like, in the verse before it says, uh, every now and then someone might die for a good person, but nobody's dying for a, a, a rat. Nobody's dying for uh, a jerk. But that's what Jesus does. While we were God's enemies, Jesus died for us. And then three days later, he rose from the grave. He was dead and buried, and now three days later, he rises again. And so, so often, a lot of my friends wear a crucifix, and on their crucifix, they'll have Jesus on the cross. Maybe you wear one of those. The good news of the gospel is he's not still there. He's not on the cross. They put him in the ground. Three Jewish days later, he comes out of the ground alive. Professional soldiers, professional executioners declared him dead. And then that wasn't enough. Three days later, he rises again. There's all kinds of theories. Even in the book of Matthew, the religious leaders are conspiring with the local Roman government to try to figure out a way to write off his resurrection. And they can't write it off uh, because he wasn't dead. He was alive. And it wasn't an apparition. Like if, if May says, hey, uh, last week I was you know, down here by the Dollar Tree after church and I, I saw Jesus going into the Dollar Tree. It was crazy. Like we might be, well, May, you're... What did, what did you have for breakfast? Like, maybe you were tired. What's going on, May? But the Bible says that 500 people saw him often in groups. He rose from the dead. He rose from the dead. And so he would seem to be the way out of our brokenness. But how 
do we receive what he's offering? Renee, if you'll go to that next slide for me. The biblical word for this is repent. Jesus calls us in Mark uh, chapter 1, uh, verse 15, he says, Now the time of God, the, the kingdom of God is among you. Repent and believe the gospel. Repent and believe. To repent is to do a 180. It's to surrender. I thought I had my keys on me. It's to surrender the right to our life as if I were, uh, had been at a party and had too much to drink and surrendered my keys uh, to a friend who was going to look after me. To repent and believe the gospel means to hand over control of my life to Jesus and save. I'm not the authority anymore. It's not to become religious or anything like that. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says this. If you, it says, this is the gospel. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified. And with the mouth one confesses and is saved. So what happens when that happens? Do we just become religious have you ever met somebody who's hyper-religious? I got a buddy here in Charlestown, and his brother, uh, this is a funny story, I probably shouldn't tell it. It's funny to me. It might not be funny to you at all. Uh, his brother became what my buddy de- defines as a born-again. He's like, he became one of those born-agains, you know? I was like, really? Okay, tell me about it. He said, well, all our life, we've been listening to classic rock all the time. And then it comes Christmas, and he gives me, and he names this Christian music artist. He's like, he gives me this CD of this guy. He's like, I was like, man, what is this? And then we go to pray over the Christmas meal, and we'd never prayed before as a family. And he prays this long prayer. He's telling me, you know, the food's getting cold. It's beginning to grow mold on it, and they're still praying. And he's looking at his brother like, man, who do you think you are? Like, just a few months ago, you were swearing and acting like a, you know, a hellraiser, and now all of a sudden, you've turned, you've changed, you've become obnoxious. You've become a religious brat. And I want to tell you, that's not what God is calling you and I to. Everybody loved Jesus. They wanted Jesus at their parties. Children loved Jesus. Rough people loved Jesus. I love, I had some friends in the South who uh, would draw art of Jesus and they would put him with like gamblers and um, people who are vertically challenged uh, with dwarfism and prostitutes. And it was, it was almost like off-putting. Why is Jesus at this rough party? Why is there drinking and everybody's acting the fool? Because that's who loved being with Jesus. We don't have to become religious church brats. We don't have to become goody two-shoes. We don't have to be people, go from being people that people want to be with to people that nobody wants to be with. We don't have to, God's not asking us to add religion into our busy life. What God is asking us is to turn, surrender rights to our life, and believe Him and be what the Bible calls being born again. And so, Renee, if you'll go to that next one, I believe. Yeah, thank you. And John 3.16 says this, Chadwick Carmody has said, this is what the entire Bible is about. Uh, is, he's 10, 10, yeah. Chadwick read the book of John, and he says, this is what, the whole Bible, this is it. This is the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but would have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Now, Jesus says that in the midst of a conversation with a Jewish theologian named Nicodemus. And in the conversation, Jesus is talking with Nicodemus and says, to be right with God, you have to be born again. 
And Nicodemus can't wrap his brain around it. He says, Jesus, what, am I supposed to climb back into my mom's womb and be born a second time? And Jesus says, no, 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 no. You're born of water the first time. That was the sort of Jewish colloquial idea that you were born of your mom. He says, the second time you're born of the Spirit. We're born again. We're made new in Jesus. And so 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this. Now, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Uh, The old things have passed away. Behold, everything has come new. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us a ministry of reconciliation. We're born again. We become new. If you're going to write anything down, this is a phrase worth writing down. The gospel is transformation over reformation. See, reformation says, I've got to reform my life. Now I've got to go to church. I've got to stop using some words. I've got to start being nice to that person I hate. I've got to reform my life, and I've got to reform my heart. The gospel offers no such thing. The gospel only offers transformation. We become new people. We are born new in God. And that is a mystery that it's hard, honestly, for me to wrap my mind around as a person theologically. It is even harder to wrap my mind around the fact that God has done that in my life. I don't understand why he would do that for us. But he transforms us. He doesn't say, do better. He says, let me do this for you because you are so broken, you will never make your way out of that brokenness. And so that is God's spirit in us immediately. When you surrender your life to Jesus, God's spirit comes and immediately inhabits your life and makes you new and begins to give you new desires, a new destiny, new habits, new faith, new perspective. And so as a church, baptism is a way that we publicly celebrate that. Baptism is the way that we say, oh, you're going, we're burying this old person who lived in rebellion against God, and this new person has been transformed. This is new life, just like Jesus rose from the dead and has new life. Now we have new life. This is heart and life and eternity transformation. And so baptism is a way we celebrate that. Getting to know God through the Bible and through prayer are Things that happen in the wake of that transformation, telling others happens in the wake of that transformation. The biggest thing that happens in the wake of being born again is we celebrate. There's joy. Our life is different. Man, that's good news. We talk about the stuff that matters to us. And when God has transformed our hearts, we find ourselves talking about him. Salvation brings relationship to God. Relationship uh, brings us to relationship with God. Salvation brings new life. Salvation brings a not guilty verdict before the Lord. Uh, when you've given your life to Jesus, you never have to feel anxiety of if you stood before God and he starts like hitting like replay on your life like and he's going to just fast forward to all the places where you were really creepy and did bad things. Like, listen the death of Jesus and salvation have covered those and God declares us not guilty in him and the coolest uh, so it declares us not guilty it gives us hope it gives us freedom the Bible says that we're adopted into God's family we have inheritance and we are because of the gospel return to God's perfect design now do we still sin absolutely does God hold our sin over us no Are we brand new? No. Every time I 
exercise or workout, like I can feel the weight of my aging. We're not brand new people, but we're born again in Jesus, and we have new life and new hope, and we're returned to God's original design. And so in life, there's two types of people, okay? There's people who are standing on the side of brokenness, and every one of us in here today is here, okay? Every, like every 100% of us. People standing on the side of brokenness and people standing on the other side who have been born again in Jesus. That's the only two places we are. If you're standing on the side of brokenness, you're doing one of two things. You're still trying to trampoline out of your brokenness and make a way out. I want to tell you that is nothing more than anesthesia. It is not the cure. Or you are stalling, saying, I'll deal with that later. I'll deal with that later when... It doesn't cost my reputation as much or when I get some habits together or whatever. Uh, the other type of person is a person over on the left side who is living in new life, who is experiencing freedom and forgiveness that only Jesus can bring. And so let me ask you. Let me ask you two questions. One, where are you on this? Where do you, as you look at that, where do you see yourself? Do you see yourself on the side of brokenness? Keep uh, continuing to try anesthesia instead of cure. Do you see yourself, um, if you see yourself there, let me just encourage you, well, let me just say, okay, you're broken. If you're on the side of brokenness, I want to encourage you to turn and repent and believe the gospel today. And I've known people who have faked it most of their life. And I want to encourage you, you don't have to fake it. You can turn, you can repent, and you can believe the gospel. If you find yourself on the side of new life, I want to encourage you to go public with that if you never have. And then, Renee, if you'll go to that last slide, uh, Rome, uh, 2 Corinthians 5, the one about if anyone's in Christ, he has been made a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. It says God has reconciled us to himself in Christ, and now he has made us ministers of reconciliation. So if you find yourself on that left side, I want to encourage you that God's plan for you is not just that you become a religious person. God's plan for you is that he wants to commission you to become a messenger of his good design for others who are in the midst of brokenness. Who are in the midst of brokenness. So the second question I would ask you today is, would there be anything that would prevent you from taking a step to the next place, wherever you find yourself? I uh, have the privilege of knowing a few people in this community. We've, Nat and I, for a long time, we, we kept a list of who all we knew. Our goal was to know 3% of the neighborhood, which was like 500 people or something like that. So every time we would meet someone, we would literally write their name in a notebook. So we got to know as many people as possible. And in that, now uh, pastoring about 50 people in the neighborhood, uh, and yet also knowing about 500 other people, maybe more at this point, there's some overlap sometimes, and it's really cool. Uh, and there was an overlap the other day where somebody called me, and they said, how you doing? I said, I'm doing well. They, this person doesn't go to this church. And... Um, he said, how's your church going? And I said, I think, it's, I think it's going well. You know, like, it might fall apart tomorrow, but I think, like, these people love Jesus, and we're kind of all in on this thing together, right? And we laughed. And then he said, hey, I just want to tell you that you may not realize it every day, but God's up to some incredible things in your church. I said, I need you to elaborate. 
And he said, <laughs> it, was probably a, a down, it was probably a Monday, and there might have been like four of us here that day before. Um, he said, I saw this person the other day who is a mutual friend, and this person is clearly a different person than they were. And I was like, okay, this is good. Keep explaining. He said, oh, you could just tell, like, there's hope in this, person li- in, in this person's life. There's mission. This person is new and different than three months ago. So thank you for sharing that. That's powerful. That, my friends, is not because of our church. That is because of the power of the gospel. That is the power of the gospel. Wherever you are today, what would prevent you from making a move in faith?